Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Providing information on Dominion voting systems. This will continue throughout the day. This one coming off of the one you saw in Pennsylvania um, last week. So a lot to get to on that. It will be continued to cover here on Newsmax. That'll do it for National Report. I'm Sean Kreisman. And I'm Alice Molina. We'll see you again tomorrow at 9. Don Bachman Now starts right now. All right, hello and welcome. John Bachman here with you live noon on the East Coast, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. And we are tuning in now listening to Rudy Giuliani there uh, holding this public hearing, the Arizona State Legislature, uh, talking about the 2020 election. As you can see, President Trump's legal team is in attendance there. Both Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis have been speaking. Let's take a quick listen in as Mayor Giuliani asks a poll worker about what they saw there. This is, this is information warfare. Um, the voting systems in the U.S. and uh, Arizona, in Dominion and several of the other machines, were built to be manipulated. Uh, and, it, and as the mayor said, they've been used in elections uh, around the world with uh, questionable results. And uh, we believe that uh, these, these same questionable results are present in, in this election. Um, again, my, my background as um, an information warfare officer is how to get in and corrupt these machines to conduct strategic influence operations. How do I, how do I get, get the enemy or, or a targeted population in a foreign country to um, think and act a certain way? Um, these machines have multiple uh, points of injection that are um, vulnerable, everywhere from the server level where um, Passwords, accesses are posted for the dark web for any hacker to, to get in and access them. And what they can do at the far, far right limit is download CSV files or like an Excel spreadsheet, change the columns, and re-upload them. And uh, that, that can be done at the server level. At the operator level, if there's software, it can be corrupted. It can be manipulated with a device that is as small and as simple as a USB device, which these machines are, are booted up and run off of. So um, the, the, the little bit of history, and I can show you some, uh, some charts on, on the DNA of these machines, but the common, uh, the common software goes back to SGO, SGO Smartmatic. Um, as Mayor mentioned, uh, they sold uh, Sequoia voting systems to Dominion in 2010, and then Diebold spun off the premier election system to Dominion as a result of the antitrust concerns. I believe that was also in 2010. So the bottom line is that these systems all have similar code and similar functions, and it's displayed in their operator's manual. So, um, it, you know, I know it's kind of been, uh, you know, in the, in the press, it's kind of been poo-pooed that, uh, yeah, this doesn't go back to Hugo Chavez. Um, but I, I personally debriefed the son of a Cuban intelligence officer uh, who had firsthand knowledge speaking with um, two of Hugo Chavez's uh, family members that um, in the Maduro election, when the populist uprising threatened uh, Venezuela's uh, totalitarian leadership, 
uh, that uh, Hugo's, uh, Hugo Chavez's family members said that don't worry, that it's guaranteed that their father invested the money to build the SGO uh, voting machine system. So in a nutshell, these systems are not what you've been told, if you've been told anything. They are connected to the Internet. There is no transparency of how the voter information is processed, <coughs> moved, and stored. And as a matter of fact, these companies have refused to, to allow any type of inspection uh, into their code, and they, they always decry, uh, you know, it's, it's our IP, it's IP protection. Um, but with uh, the declaration, I believe, with uh, Jay Johnson, who was uh, our Secretary of Homeland uh, Security, uh, he declared that uh, the national um, election system was national critical infrastructure. So there is, you know, uh, I think reason to for uh, you know for us to understand the code and how these machines function and how they use our uh, our votes and process votes. The um, the voting record is able to be modified, deleted, adjusted by administrators or outside threats, and those are, those are also explained in the in the user's manual. Operators can assign votes for write-in votes, blank or error ballots in large numbers. So all of these votes, they could get put into a batch file, and then the administrator of that voting or tabulation system can say, okay, there's, there's 8,000 votes in this batch file, or there's 5,000 votes in this batch file, and they can say, well, I think, you know, this batch will just make this go to this candidate. And, and they, they, have that in, in, they have that authority in the user's manual to do that. Um, our team is not the only team that's working on this. There are literally hundreds of other small cyber teams that uh, have weighed in on this. Uh, there are tons of statisticians. Some of you'll hear from your, some of your, uh, your Arizona citizens today. Uh, but we've been working in several states looking at, at these anomalies. Um, but it's, it's not a secret. Uh, I mean, DEF CON last year, I think the hacking teams broke in and manipulated these machines in under two minutes. So it can be done, it's easy, and, and there are very little security. So uh, they can be hacked to manipulate votes. Um, one of our white hat hackers uh, discovered a malware on the server, uh, it's called the QSnatch, that basically records um, login credentials and passwords. So if someone in, uh, in Philadelphia or someone in Maricopa County or someone in, in uh, Antrim, Michigan logged in, that malware will grab their username and password. And so you can log in. If you got access to the, the, the backside of that malware, you can log in wherever you are in the world to Maricopa County to manipulate. Um, so Colonel, there, there's multiple Colonel, ways. Just interrupt you for a second. Yes, so, sir. So we get the uh, point of this clear. You actually examined one of the machines, and you were actually able to see very, very uh, clear changes in vote in the machine, correct? Correct, in uh, Michigan. How, and it was down ballot changes. How, how many? Correct. Um, so the, the down ballot um, looks, it was for, there were, there were changes in the election day vote on 11-3 on to the recount vote on 11-6. Uh, say, for example, uh, the school board, one lady on the election day received 519 votes, and this was a very small uh, precinct. Uh, in the, the post recount, uh, they went from 592 to 852. The total votes went from 1068 to 1810, 
and the write-in vote jumped uh, from 24 to, to 112. There was another um, proposition on a state proposal that um, jumped significantly from, from 700 votes on election day up to 1083 uh, on, on the recount. So there, there are a lot of variabilities, and what we believe this is due to is the, the USB drive that was used in the election day versus the post uh, post-election recount. Well, this this uh, proposition, when I see, uh, I think we should give them a copy of this, make this available to them because it shows on the day of the election. This this is a proposition about the use of future revenues generated from oil and gas bonuses, and I take it it was fairly controversial. So the first vote was 774 for. 508 against. The second vote was 1083 for and 206 against. Quite a difference. Now, how did that difference come about? How, how do you accomplish that difference? How, how does the machine change from after the votes are cast? What does the machine remember other votes? So there's a there's a, a card that stores the votes and it's run against the algorithm that's put on the, the USB card into the actual machine and the, and the tabulator. And that difference was, was basically the, the tabulation algorithm. Why, excuse me for my ignorance, but why would you put an algorithm in if you have a vote that's 774 to 508? That's a, why wouldn't you just look and see, was that the correct vote? Why do you put an algorithm in, which is introducing an outside force to what should be an internal process. To shift things how you, how you like them. Uh, when, you, when you look at moving these algorithms around through the different precincts, um, you, can, you can achieve quite a number of aggregate ballot shifts. So this, is, this was one instance and one recount and one small. So when they, looked, when they looked at the machine on election day, it was 774 to 508. When they looked at it again on the recount three days later, it was 1,083 to 206. Is that right? Correct. And that happens because of an algorithm, not because anybody changed their vote. The, uh, the, the elections clerk uh, did write an affidavit, and they basically said that we'd followed all the procedures on election day as well <laughs> as a recount, and uh, these were the results that the election clerk. We're also going to submit this study. It's quite complicated. I fell asleep last night reading it and had uh, dreams about internet surveillance and all kinds of things. I propose getting an expert to look it over, but it shows what exactly what the colonel is saying, that these machines should not be voting machines because anybody can communicate. It's like having an open computer. Anybody can communicate with them and do whatever they want with it. So we'll submit this and this to you that shows you that, um, that they can be changed, that they were changed, and then exactly how you can do it. Now, we know we're not saying it about any of the machines in Maricopa County, but we haven't seen the machines in Maricopa County, nor have you. 
This evidence is being submitted. All right, thanks for staying with us. Of course, you've been watching Mayor Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's attorney there, asking some questions. The gentleman you see on the left-hand side of your screen there is retired Army Colonel Phil Waldron, who is a cybersecurity and voting security expert who testified not only at this hearing in Maricopa County, Arizona, but also last week in Gettysburg at that hearing there. And I wanted to welcome in now Brett Tolman, former U.S. Prosecutor and founder of the Tolman Group to talk more about what we're hearing. Brett, great to see you. Thanks so much for sticking around with us. Great to see you, John. All right. Well, uh, you know, we, we heard some of these same claims from Colonel Waldron last week in Pennsylvania, but they are certainly concerning considering how this same software and their allegations has been used to change the outcomes of elections in foreign countries. Uh, and apparently, this is what they're claiming happened here in this country. What, what are we to make of these allegations? Well, you know, John, they, they're serious allegations for sure. And I, I think about what the president has said, you know, the fact that he was congratulated, you know, around 10 p.m. Uh, the night of the election, only to, to see over the, the next few hours these drastic changes in election results. It, it puzzled everyone. But I think this hearing is just touching, you know, barely the surface of what we know about it. And it reminds me, John, that perhaps what we need we need to call for an election commission like the 9-11 commission, mm. because this thing, it, it looks as though it's large enough that we're going to need to uncover really what happened across the country in these swing states. Yeah, there's there's several issues here to look at. And one of the other things we heard from Mayor Giuliani at the onset of this hearing is that these state legislatures, they cannot certify elections given everything that we've learned about them, all the improprieties, uh, the allegations of widespread fraud. And in the fact that they do certify these elections, they're certifying a false document, in effect, and there are repercussions for that. So which option do you see, Brett, as, as the most viable for, for the Trump campaign here? Are they going to push these state legislatures to not certify the elections, then kick it over to the House of Representatives? I think that's what you're starting to see, and, and that's, that's where I'm... Um I guess, putting the pieces together. And, and so far, that's what, what the puzzle looks like. And it, and it is a puzzle because you you have what you think, if you're in Giuliani's shoes, enough to overturn or to reverse course in some of these elections. But there's going to be there's going to be people on both sides that are going to be arguing it's not sufficient to change the results. And so I think the strategy then is to to whittle away at the confidence anybody could actually have at certifying the results. And the Constitution is 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 equipped to deal with that uh, issue. So perhaps that's their their strategy now. Yeah. You know, in at least some way, the voters will still have a say because the voters are the ones who elected those state representatives. Let's also talk to about some of the allegations made by this guy Krebs last night on 60 Minutes. Here he is, the former CISA director, Chris Krebs. Uh, he says the 2020 election was secure and insisted no one who voted should feel like their vote didn't count. We can go on and on with all the farcical claims that uh, alleging uh, interference in the 2020 election. But the proof is in the ballots. The recounts are consistent with the initial count. And to me, that's further evidence, that's confirmation that the systems used in the 2020 election performed as expected, and the American people should have 100% confidence in their vote. You know, that's hard for a lot of people to swallow, Brett, considering, you know, there are claims that these ballots can't be rectified in places like Georgia. 
Well, look, this this was astounding to me. I saw parts of this, and uh, you know, I'm one that uh, has a, I struggle with conspiracy theories, and I, I'm very doubtful of them to begin with. And uh, I've put to rest several theories before in my in my career. But this is something that you're looking at and you participated in, each of us did, and we saw such unusual uh, results and, and indicia of something going on behind the scenes. It's almost implausible to suggest at this point that it was 100% secure. We have judges already that are expressing concern that they are they are um, seizing machines and they're issuing orders to take a closer look. I mean, this has the earmarkings of someone going public in order to try to, you know, change the narrative from what all of us lived through and observed in that election. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. We're going to talk more about this coming up with Dick Morris, but that U.S. District Judge in Georgia, Timothy Batten, saying, look, you cannot wipe these Dominion voting machines. Right. You can't wipe them clean because we still have to get to the bottom of what happened. I, I, think, I certainly think that is a sign of, of where this is going in Georgia. Uh, we all, also have the stuff to talk about with the governor and President Trump as well. But, Brett, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you being flexible and hanging out with us as we listen into this developing story. Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, the president's attorneys, uh, holding this public hearing, this fact-finding hearing in Arizona, uh, uncovering more allegations of voter fraud there. Thanks to Brett Tallman. We're going to come back right after the short commercial break. We'll talk more about this and Georgia specifically. Late last night, that federal judge did issue an injunction blocking the wiping of Dominion voting machines. What's going on there? Dick Morris will be right back to talk about that next. All right, thanks for sticking around with us. We continue to listen live now at Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, President Trump's attorneys, holding another fact-finding hearing in Arizona or Maricopa County, Arizona. Uh, this is similar to the hearing that we saw last week in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, where they bring forth experts like Colonel Phil Waldron, a cybersecurity expert, talking about the vulnerabilities with Dominion voting systems and how those same voting systems have been used in the past to manipulate other foreign elections. We also heard from an expert, a cybersecurity expert, last night on. 60 Minutes, saying this was, in fact, the most secure election we've ever had. So what's the truth here? Well, we're going to find out because we're going to get to the bottom of all this stuff. Uh, let's talk more about the situation in Georgia as well, because a federal judge has assigned, uh, the federal judge assigned to reviewing the Republican-led lawsuit, lawsuit there alleging widespread election fraud has issued an order blocking plans to wipe or reset those Dominion voting machines used in three counties in the Peach State. This is according to Politico here. U.S. District Judge Timothy Batten Sr. revealed in his four-page directive that he held a hearing uh, via Zoom Sunday evening on the suit. One of the two cases filed in federal courts last week is the one by Sidney Powell. She, of course, is the outspoken Texas attorney who's representing not directly President Trump, but we the people, as she says. Uh, they have uh, President Trump's legal team earlier this month um, had issued a challenge to this. And now, of course, the secretary of state in Georgia has said he was going to wipe the machines, but the governor now getting involved. Also, Governor Brian Kemp's office today has now responded to President Trump's tweet asking Kemp to use his, quote, emergency powers to overrule the secretary of state in Georgia. Trump also had this to say about Kemp over the weekend. Everything has to be approved by the legislature. And they had judges making deals and they had uh, electoral officials making deals like this character in Georgia who's a disaster. And the governor's done nothing. He's done absolutely nothing. I'm ashamed that I endorsed him.
All right, let's bring in now presidential political strategist and New York Times bestselling author Dick Morris to talk more about Georgia and Pennsylvania and Arizona. Dick, great to see you as always. Thanks so much for joining us. Georgia on my mind. Georgia is on everyone's mind. So talk to us about what's going on down there and what is so important and why is this so, such a big deal? We know it is, but talk to us about what this means with this uh, U.S. District Judge Timothy Batten Sr. saying, no, 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 you can't wipe these voting machines. Well, let me just address the whole situation in Georgia. The, uh, the lawsuit that Trump's people filed uh, has, uh, been, has, result, has led to a letter to Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, asking for a review of all signatures of voters who voted by mail or absentee, which is required by the Georgia Constitution or Georgia statute. And uh, that's the fifth request they've made. They've never gotten the list or the signatures to verify them. Secondly, Dominion, which set up the voting system with smart tech for Georgia and for 19 other states, has been subject to unbelievably intense and, I think, accurate criticism in the Sidney Powell lawsuit. And this is the first time this uh, court order not to wipe the machines clean that that attack on Dominion has received judicial notice, that a judge has said there's some substance here, and apparently enough substance not to go ahead and not to let them wipe the ballot clean. The reason they want to wipe the machines clean is because they have a runoff election in a couple of weeks. But the judge has said you can't do that because the case against Dominion is such that we really have to examine the machines. That's a big breakthrough. And, and, and Dick, the we were talking thing that's happening throughout the country is that the state legislatures recently in Pennsylvania and now in Arizona as well are taking a direct role in saying we are in charge of choosing the electors and we are going to conduct our own audit and our own hearing. This is a layer of review quite apart from the Supreme Court, because the problem always is the court can address constitutional issues like equal protection, but it's not going to count ballots. Right. And when it gets to things like counting the ballots and looking at Dominion and looking at what happened with the machines, that's something that the U.S., the federal courts generally don't do and certainly aren't able to do in state cases. But the legislature can. So between the Supreme Court looking at constitutional issues and the legislature looking at ballot issues, you really have it covered now. And these are all Republican-majority legislators. So I'm pretty optimistic these days. And that's the thing, Dick. And, of course, I'm no lawyer here, but based on what you're hearing from Rudy Giuliani talking about these state legislatures not being able to certify these elections because he believes and a lot of people believe that what they would be certifying is, in fact, a false result, so they can't do that, it does seem like he might believe that the state legislature is the best path forward for them. The day after the election, or two days after, I called President Trump, and I told him that I thought the real action here would be in the state legislatures, and I urged him to convene a meeting of the Republican leaders of all of the legislatures. And it's taken a little while for that to percolate through the system. But now that we've seen all these biased Democratic elected judges uh, at state levels ruling for clearly unconstitutional actions and covering up massive fraud, it's becoming clear that the only way we'll get at that is through the state legislatures, which, thank goodness, are Republican majority. Yeah, and at least in Georgia, there's been very little opposition from, from you know, statewide office holders for pushing back. It only seems to be those loyal to Brad Raffensperger and the governor right now that are putting any, you know, pushback against President Trump. So we'll see what happens. Real quick, Dick, before we wrap up, when do you think we'll see President Trump go to Georgia? 
Oh, I don't know. R right after General Sherman leaves. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know we know the ghost of General Sherman has never left the state of Georgia. That's for sure. Dick, great to see you as always. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Coming up, the media continues to provide softball coverage of former Vice President Joe Biden and forgets to report on some of the real issues. Sounds like the Biden media we all expected. We got reports about cats and dogs, but we also has broken foot to talk about, too, and his all-female communications staff. Everyone's raving about that. We're going to be joined by Dan O'Dell and Ari Hoffman next. We're also going to continue to keep our eye on this hearing happening in Arizona. Mayor Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis, the president's attorneys, now may, uh, holding another fact-finding hearing, presenting more evidence of voter fraud. Don't go away. Vice President Joe Biden is wearing a walking boot today after fracturing his right foot this past weekend. Biden apparently hurt his foot while playing with one of his dogs. Here's video of Biden leaving the orthopedist's office in Newark, Delaware. President Trump even tweeting a message to Biden saying, get well soon. The broken foot just part of a flurry of breaking Biden news. Coming from the weekend, Biden also announcing his all-female White House communications team. It's fronted by former Obama State Department spokesperson Jen Psaki, who also worked as President Obama's White House communications director. Now, a lot of people blasted out how historic Biden's picks were, forgetting about all the women who currently work or have worked on President Trump's comms team. The media's glowing coverage of Biden's cabinet and staff picks only matched by their hard-hitting coverage of all of his pets. Pages of headlines were dedicated to the fact that two dogs and, I guess, one cat are going to be moving to the White House. Maybe. We wish we were kidding. Joining us now, former Seattle City Council candidate and writer at The Post Millennial, Ari Hoffman, also with us today, host of the Dan O'Donnell Show on Milwaukee's News Talk 1130. Dan, Ari, great to see you both. Good morning. Absolutely, sir. And one of the things that uh, America can agree on, we talked about this last week with Mark Halpern, we've also seen it in other uh, polls. Ari, both Democrats and Republicans agree that this coverage of Joe Biden is ridiculous. I've never seen so many positive cat stories since BuzzFeed was a thing back in 2010. And, and you know, we still don't know. Where, where does he stand on court packing? Why hasn't Kamala Harris resigned her Senate seat yet? These are real questions that the press corps should be asking. But here we are still wondering, Ari. Well, I think you better get used to it, John, because the sad thing is we're going to be seeing this if he is certified the actual president-elect. You're going to be seeing this for the next four years. Don't forget, during the Obama administration, which Biden was part of, all it was was good news, the good news train all the time. They didn't talk about Fast and Furious. They didn't talk about pallets of cash being delivered to the Iranians. They didn't talk about all the scandals. The biggest scandal they talked about was that Obama wore a tan suit during a press conference. So this is the type of coverage you're going to have. Meanwhile, for four years, President Trump could do absolutely nothing right. So you're going to see this again and again. It's just going to be softball served up to him while people do whatever they want behind the scenes and nobody calls them on it except for alternative media. Yeah. Well, you know, I just wonder sometimes, Dan, why the press corps doesn't get mad about it. I mean, the way that President Obama treated the press corps, surveillance, you know, never letting them in anything, having his own press photographer basically get all the good cushy assignments, not giving it to the pool feed. Uh, you know, it's, it's obviously a tale of, of two press corps. Well, wait a second. Uh, John, are you forgetting that Barack Obama also filled out NCAA brackets? Oh, yes. And he was cool. Yeah. You see, look. 
The reality is for far too many White House correspondents and people who cover the president on a daily basis, they're all they, they see themselves as being on the same team. So it was sort of like, remember, the surveillance was targeting a Fox News reporter, James Rosen. He's mm -hmm. sort of seen as being on the other team like Newsmax. Right. So there's a difference. And it's amazing how quickly the watchdogs of the last four years can once again turn into lapdogs. I was laughing on my show this morning, John about Kamala Harris was out at a Christmas market in Washington, D.C., and MSNBC did a glowing profile. Her husband bought a Madam Vice President T-shirt. Oh, like, wait a second. Isn't she telling people to stay home on Thanksgiving weekend? How about we cover this hypocrisy? It's probably a smart move by Doug Emhoff just to go ahead and get that done, show the wife some love, show some support. You can never go wrong doing that. Right, that's but true. I, but I, I want to point out how just, you know, beyond the pale the press corps was, how they didn't seem to care so much about the way Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Remember, remember this from the, uh, from the nerd prom a couple of years ago? Take a listen to this. And, of course, we have Sarah Huckabee Sanders. We are graced with Sarah's presence tonight. I have to say I'm a little starstruck. I love you as Aunt Lydia and the Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> I actually really like Sarah. I think she's very resourceful. Like she burns facts and then she uses that ash to create a perfect smoky eye. <laughs> like maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's lies. I mean, we all forgot who that was. Nobody knew who she was before that night. It shows you how bad that whole event had gotten to be, but just, the, the 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 pettiness of it, Ari. Oh, yeah, 100%. And like I said, this is what you're going to see the next four years. You know, they talk about all these women being in the Obama White House. You didn't see them writing these stories about people like Kayleigh McEnany in the White House running the communications department and all the women who worked under her. For them, what this is really going to be about is about dividing us by race, dividing us by gender, as opposed to look how qualified this person is. For them, it's about who they can put up on a pedestal and make it look like they're starting this new America and returning to normal. Meanwhile, what it seems like they're doing is really returning to the Obama White House, where, just as Dan mentioned, they target reporters, they target the people they don't like, they alienate anybody who they think isn't on their side and demonize as many people as they possibly can who don't buy into everything they say, hook, line, and sinker. Yes, and this is where we remind everybody that Harry Styles has been on the cover of Vogue magazine and address Melania Trump has not. And that just shows you where the media is at nowadays. Ari and Dan are coming back in our next hour to discuss what Democrats are, how, what they're, how they're crushing small businesses. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've seen this massive transfer of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street. It doesn't seem to be stopping, at least with Democrats in control of the Congress. All right. The FAA is also confirming the first mass air shipment of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine is on the way. We'll talk about that and more coming up next. Welcome back. We continue to check in and bring you live now to Maricopa County, Arizona, where President Trump's attorneys Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis are holding a fact-finding hearing, again, exposing more allegations of voter fraud. Let's take a listen. So we can do an audit. We just need to conduct a committee hearing to give us that subpoena power to be able to do so. Mr. Julian. So when, when this vote is certified, if that's not done, there is no question in any reasonable person's mind 
that the vote totals contain large numbers of illegal votes from people who are not citizens of the United States. The question is, how many? And the officials certifying have made no effort to find out the truth, which seems to me gives the state legislature a perfect reason to take over the conduct of this election because it's being conducted irresponsibly and unfairly. And why, and, why, and why doesn't your state legislature exercise its responsibility under the Constitution? What, what's wrong with that? Mr. Giuliani, that, that is the essential question that we are here to ask. Good. Um, so now, any, anything else? Uh, Colonel, you did a great job. He's available for any more questions. Um, if you are done... available all day. If you're this done, is, Mr. Giuliani, we, we do have a number of questions from the panel members for you, sir. Good. Yes, sir. Right. Um, the first thing I'd like to ask is, um, you spoke on system capability, and I know that much has been made of the excoriation of the state of Texas on the Dominion equipment, software, and all that. Um, can you provide just a very short comment on what why they said, not only are we not recommending this, we're prohibiting the use of this equipment in our state. Uh, in a nutshell, vulnerabilities that were um, issued, not addressed, and not fixed. There, there were too many system vulnerabilities. Okay. And you also referenced uh, a comment about DHS. And I'm struggling with why did DHS say security for this election was the best it had ever been? Do you have any insight into that? Uh, in my experience in life, uh, there's, there's generally two factors for individual. I mean, it's either competence or commitment. So they were either incompetent or not committed to learning the truth at, at the senior leader level, not okay. at the operator level. And does DHS know about the information that you've shared with us or that you're sharing with us in, in the process of this? Have you shared that with them specifically? And much more. So beyond what you're saying here, you've gone into much greater depth. Yeah, our, our, um, we have relationships with our local... Uh, All right, thanks for staying with us. And we've been checking in constantly with this uh, fact-finding hearing, as it's been called, President Trump's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, uh, leading this hearing with Colonel Phil Waldron, who's a cybersecurity expert you see there in the table uh, to Giuliani's right there on the screen. Talking really about these state legislatures, Giuliani pressing them not to certify the election results in states like Arizona and Pennsylvania based on all the allegations of voter fraud and the evidence that he has presented in hearings like this one and the one that we saw last week in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania as well. Uh, Colonel Phil Waldron, again, that cybersecurity expert, saying today, uh, for the record, that he believes that these vote machines can easily be manipulated, that a lot of this has been done uh, in, the, in foreign governments or by foreign governments in foreign countries by the past and in the past, and there's no reason to believe that it could not happen here. So we'll keep an eye on this as this continues, uh, and we will bring you back as it warrants that we may see a surge upon a surge. You know, we don't want to frighten people, but that's just the reality. We said that these things would happen as we got into the cold weather and as we began traveling, and they've happened. All right, that was Dr. Anthony Fauci over the weekend saying that the United States could see a 
surge upon surge, his words there about the COVID-19 pandemic. The disease experts say that the holiday weekend may cause a surge in these cases. The number of new COVID-19 cases reported in the U.S. topped 200,000 for the first time on Friday. But you've seen people waiting in line to get these tests. So a lot more tests happening as a result of, of this new surge as well. Now, Moderna will submit its coronavirus vaccine for regulatory approval today. This will be the second company to pass this milestone just this month. This, as the FAA confirms, that a massive air shipment of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine is on its way from Belgium to the United States. Pfizer is using charter flights to help distribute the vaccine. As of right now, they are not authorized. Uh, but COVID-19 distributors are ramping up, getting ready for that moment when those vaccines are, in fact, authorized. Let's welcome Dr. Peter Hibbert in now to talk to us about this and more. He's a Florida-based emergency medicine specialist certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine. Dr. Hibbert, great to see you. Hi there, John. All right, a lot of people excited about this vaccine news. How long do you think it'll be before it's distributed to the public? Well, distributed to the public and distributed to first-line workers and high-risk are going to be very, very, very different dates. I think we're looking at March or April for the average person out there at least, and that's assuming we get the safety data in that we're all waiting for. We have yet to see the raw numbers. We've seen percents. Percents can be manipulated by depending upon what the numbers are. I want some raw figures, and I want to see the safety data, and that is also what the FDA is going to need. Uh, hopefully before they approve it. And they're talking about a date of December 6 for potential approval if it is the way it's being, being uh, touted. Remember, this is a large ticket item, and it's very important that we check our safety before we let this one loose. If it's as good as we hope it is, it'll be wonderful. If it's not, then we're going to take a little longer to check safety data. Safety is a key priority here for a lot of folks. A lot of questions about it as well. Dr. Hibbert, we'll see you in the next hour and we'll talk about Dr. Fauci now wanting schools to stay open. Maybe a change of messaging, perhaps. We'll see you soon. Thank you. All right, coming up, New York schools are reopening. We'll discuss that and more with Robbie Suave from Reason Magazine next. It not being facetiously as a soundbite or anything, but you know, close the bars and keep the schools open is what we really say. Obviously, you don't have one size fits all. Not as a soundbite or saying it facetiously, well, maybe he should be more clear about it. Dr. Anthony Fauci uh, on ABC News over the weekend, Fauci said the quote, the spread of COVID-19 among children and from children is not very big at all. Still, with this information, many city schools across the country refuse to reopen. In New York City, just 10 days after closing the nation's largest school district, Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that elementary schools will reopen on December 7th. Students and staff will have to consent to weekly random COVID-19 testing. Also, middle and high school students will continue to remain fully remote, at least for now. But what impact is this having on these students? Let's welcome in now Robbie Suave, senior editor of Reason Magazine, author of Panic Attack, Young Radicals in the Age of Trump. Robbie, it seems like we still can't really get a consistent message from Dr. Fauci or anybody else on opening schools. And I really think what you talk about a lot is that this is just public pressure from the teachers unions, really impacting these officials' ability to make these decisions and be clear with us, right? 
Right, uh, which is why, I, I, by the way, I won't take this deal, uh, the close the close the bars and restaurants but reopen the schools. If we closed bars and restaurants, the schools would still not open because the teachers are exerting, the unions at least, exerting way too much pressure on districts to keep them closed. I live in Washington, D.C. Here the schools haven't even really thought about closing. Teachers' unions put fake body bags in front of uh, the district officials' uh, offices to scare them into not reopening so they didn't even consider it. So, uh, so no, we should keep, I mean, I'm for keeping bars and restaurants open then uh, if, if the schools aren't going to open anyway. You and I think really most of America who really understand what is at stake here can't just close down these bars and restaurants and expect them to come back open. We've already seen this, Robbie, with the massive transfer of wealth from Main Street to Wall Street and Silicon Valley. That's one of the side effects of this pandemic. But here's what you wrote uh, an article about. And you said, quote, public officials are not following the science. They are ignoring what's best for kids, and they are certainly aren't listening to Dr. Fauci, right? I mean, a little too, right. little too, so, little too I mean, late. I'm, like, I'm glad Fauci. he said this, because now you can cite him as one more person who agree. You know, everyone, there's broad agreement, except among the teachers' unions, that schools need to reopen, that children are being traumatized, they're being set back, they're being abandoned right now by policymakers. It's terrible for them. I feel so bad for them. Uh, and it's not it's not necessary because the spread in schools, we, you know, you can look at the schools that have reopened because some private schools have uh, smaller districts have have still had schools open. And you just you don't see a lot of spread. You don't see a lot of spread from kids to teachers. And and again, the you know, the health impacts for young people who get it are 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 really negligible. Uh, so so if you were following the science, you would reopen the schools, but we're not following the science. We're following the whims of a public employee protection racket. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, something else we want to talk about, too, real quickly, Robbie, as we wrap up here. Uh, somewhat of an esoteric name here, but folks will hear more about her because it seems like she's the one on which Republicans in the Senate want to hold the line. And that's um, Neera Tandon. And she's nominated to be the OMB director. And here's what you tweeted about her. Biden's selection of Neera Tandon is yet more confirmation that we're about to have a very offline president, i.e. he's either unaware of or doesn't care about the constant slew of toxic Twitter drama in which Tandon was involved. She's going to be somewhat controversial, right? Yeah, she's going to be very controversial, not just for Republicans, but also for some Democrats. She is a Hillary Clinton person. Uh, she is a major foreign policy hawk. I've been, I, I have a piece uh, on her coming out probably within the hour at Reason.com. But she, she's someone who doesn't care about deficits and the debt at all. But the one time she, the one time she did suggest doing something about it, she said shortly during the Libyan intervention in 2011, Gaddafi just killed Libya, about to descend into into chaos and terrorism. She said, "Well, they aren't they grateful for what we've done? Maybe we sh they should give us some of their oil, and that we could use that to help. If people are so worried about our deficit, that's how we should handle it. Yeah, that's the kind of thinking she she represents. So I expect she might run up against Republican opposition, but perhaps Democratic opposition as well. Yeah, you think back to the." Uh the confirmation hearing for Amy Coney Barrett with all the pictures from the Democrats. We might have some tweets blown up full size from Republicans here reminding us all of who near attention is. Great to see you, Robbie, and we'll look forward to that piece up on Reason.com. Thank you. All right, that's going to do it for the first hour. John Bachman now much more ahead. President Trump ripping CBS News' 60 Minutes interview on Sunday after that cybersecurity chief, the former one, talked about how safe the election was. We're going to talk to Dinesh D'Souza about that. Also, we're going to check back in with Arizona, another fact-finding hearing happening in Arizona with Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis. We'll bring you back there live at the top of the hour. Don't go away. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this.
Bachman, thanks for staying with us in our second hour of coverage now, 1 p.m. here on the East Coast, 10 a.m. on the West Coast. This is happening as we learn more about allegations of voter fraud. We're going to listen in now to Rudy Giuliani, who's conducting this hearing along with several members of Arizona's Republican Party. Let's take a listen. Machine that it's itself, like a, a memory card that is resident on the machine, not that, that is actually talking to the hard drive? The... Uh the machines, for the most part, at the voting machines are just run by, you know, removable software and data cards, the, the, the cards that actually hold the votes. The, uh, the backup servers is really where the true story would, uh, would reside as far as the uploads, downloads, the change, the, uh, the error warnings for the, the mismatch errors. So would you be able to show with specificity a machine in Maricopa County going all the way across the pond inserting data into a server or would it be an aggregate of all the machines that were in Maricopa County for example is it by individual tabulator or is it by the server here that collects can you help me understand that piece let me uh, I'll that probably goes back to your headache graph, I'm a thinking. Schema, yeah, a schematic that, that sort of shows that. The reason I asked the question is we're still looking for evidence, and if that is in the evidence package, that's certainly something that we would want to know about. If, if we don't have it today, um, something that could be forwarded to the body would be great. Uh, let me see if I can make this bigger. So this is uh, Dominion voting, the high level. Um, All right, as we continue to listen in, hear questions about Dominion voting systems in Maricopa County, Arizona, and what part of this election may have occurred overseas, depending on where the servers were and elsewhere. Let's check in now with Newsmax White House correspondent Emerald Robinson, who's been listening into this hearing to give us an update on what we've learned so far. So, Emerald, uh, this Colonel Phil Waldron, he is the cybersecurity expert, uh, leveling these allegations about how vulnerable Dominion voting systems have been. Of course, we've heard about this before from Democrats, but that was, of course, before the 2020 election actually happened. So what do you think, Emerald, is the, the biggest takeaway from this hearing, what did we learn today that uh, will be resonating tomorrow? Well, there's a few things, but I thought pointedly was when he said that he and his colleagues had turned over 202 gigabytes of data to the Department of Homeland Security and specifically CISA, the Cyber Security and Infrastructure, uh, Infrastructure Security Agency, that showed them that they had found that these machines were connected to the Internet, that showed the trail of uh, information being transferred to a server in Frankfurt, amongst other vulnerabilities. And you have to remember, we've seen that top CISA official who is now fired out on 60 Minutes just yesterday contradicting what this witness is testifying. And that witness today, Phil Waldron, saying that Chris Krebs, the official we're talking about that was formerly with CISA, 
he had been told he didn't even attend the meetings where this information was pre presented. So that's pretty big because Chris Krebs has been out there saying that this is the most secure election in American history. And yet this cybersecurity expert is sitting here before members of the Arizona legislature today saying that is not true. Uh, he's going through a very detailed uh, explanation, a very esoteric in some ways because he is a technical person, but he tried to lay it out in a diagram of the vulnerabilities they found and what they think happened in this election. He also drew an audible gasp from the crowd when he said that the signature matching uh, deficiencies that were represented in Arizona could affect some 1.9 million ballots. Now, clearly that's different from some of the cybersecurity aspects that he's talking about, but that's something that we heard the president talking about today in respect to Georgia and how he says that the Georgia uh, election officials are not handling signature matching properly and he's saying that that has a huge effect in that state so this witness is someone who says he knows the vulnerabilities of the voting machines because he's uh, hacked them before himself and he talked about some of the actions of white hat hackers and what they found and what you see there john i feel like is these lawmakers really engaging with this witness and trying to understand and the key question they have is how can you prove this? How can you distill it down and really find that this happened? And according to this witness, if they got their hands on the machines, you could inspect and uh, conduct a forensics investigation on the machines and the servers within to see if, in fact, they were padded with false votes or if there's some kind of algorithm that it resulted in more votes for Joe Biden than the president, which is what is being alleged here, John. It might seem very basic and simple to people, and it might seem like a stupid question, but, you know, maintaining the record, checking the computer. I mean, any computer can be traced, your phone, they can yeah. check out that. Why would they not want to be able to provide this level of transparency to clear up any of these allegations, if that were right. possible? We just heard Phil Waldron talk about these servers. That's where the real smoking gun may be found, if they can get their hands on these servers. That's the question, though, Emma, will they be able to do so? Yeah, that's a really great question. Look at what we've been seeing in Georgia. Just last night, a judge did uh, issue an injunction to block the servers from being wiped. The Georgia election officials were ready to do that in that state. And uh, even Dominion voting representatives have been kicking against uh, uh investigating the servers and the software they're saying because it would give away their trade secrets but when you're questioning a presidential election I think anyone would agree that you needed full forensics investigation of the software when there are so many questions about what happened and so many people 70 million people questioning if this election is fair so yeah. it only begs the question why would you not do it the question is is it going to happen we're not sure and I think a lot of people even question John how many of these machines have already been tampered with? Because I know two, two, almost three weeks ago, I talked to an official in Floyd County, Georgia, and he had said that already there have been Dominion voting representatives there working on those machines for two days. And he was concerned that there might have been some tampering with them then. Yeah, basic questions here. Even aside from all the allegations here, you have, you know, corporations, these multi-transnational uh, corporations controlling voting equipment. Uh, so many questions mm -hmm. there. And then trade secrets with voting. I mean, I get it. But at the same time, where's the transparency here? The American public has a right to know. Emerald, thanks so much for giving us those updates. We'll check in with you soon. Yeah.
All right, let's talk a little bit more specifically about Georgia because a federal judge there is keeping the hopes of the Trump campaign alive. District Judge Timothy Batten Sr. issued a late order last night blocking plans to wipe or reset voting machines used in three counties in that state. Uh, this is part of Sidney Powell's lawsuit looking into these Dominion voting machines. We heard Emerald talking about this as well. This, of course, all comes after President Trump gave his first post-election interview to Maria Bartiromo over on Fox News. The president talked about all the evidence of voter fraud that has been prevented so far and why he thinks the election was rigged on behalf of Joe Biden. I was called by the biggest people uh, saying congratulations, political people. Congratulations, sir. You just won the election. It was 10 o'clock and you looked at the numbers and I'm sure you felt that way. This election was over and then they did dumps. They call them dumps, big, massive dumps uh, in Michigan and Pennsylvania and uh, uh, all over. And also says the Trump campaign's biggest hurdle could be getting their case to the Supreme Court. Doesn't seem very confident in that route, even though the best Supreme Court and uh, advocates and lawyers, uh, even with the best Supreme Court advocates and lawyers. Here's the president on that fact. We have stories that are unbelievable, but we're not allowed to put in our proof. They say you don't have standing. I said I'd like to file to the lawyers. I would like to file one nice, big, beautiful lawsuit. All right, let's go ahead and get in now and welcome in Dinesh D'Souza, award-winning filmmaker and best-selling author. His latest film, Trump Card, an expose of socialism, corruption, and the gangsterization of, that now define the Democratic Party. Great to see you, Dinesh. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. All right, you know, we've heard some of these allegations about Pennsylvania. Now we're hearing about uh, Arizona. And when you look at these issues with Dominion voting systems, what do you see as, as your biggest concern right now? Well, I think there are two big issues here, um, and they are connected. The first is, can the machines be manipulated? And let's pause on that one for a second, because that is separate from the issue of whether they were manipulated. But even if they could be manipulated, this, to me, is very troubling. I mean, just by way of analogy, imagine if we're running a Powerball lottery. Everyone's buying a ticket for $10. And uh, we all assume that the machine that picks the winning number is doing it randomly. Now, let's say we find out that that's not the case, that you can actually program the machine in such a way that all numbers with certain digits can be eliminated, or the machine can give greater weight to certain numbers than others. You wouldn't have to show that the machine did do that. You'd simply say, this is a fake machine. This is a rigged lottery. You know, from ancient times, it's been known, for example, that merchants would use weights that were rigged. Now, you wouldn't have to prove that they had done it in a particular case. You'd simply have to grab the weighing scale and show, look, these are false weights. You can actually put extra weight over here. You can rig the machine. So the very possibility of rigging the machine casts fundamental doubt on the legitimacy of the process itself. Let's also talk, too, about this guy, Chris Krebs, who was on 60 Minutes last night. Now, he says the 2020 election was the most secure in our nation's history. Take a listen. We can go on and on with all the farcical claims that uh, alleging uh, interference in the 2020 election, but the proof is in the ballots. The recounts are consistent with the initial count, and to me, that's further evidence, that's confirmation that the systems used in the 2020 election performed as expected, and the American people should have 100% confidence in their vote. 
Now, he says the proof is in the pudding, and that pudding is the ballots. But still, there are a lot of questions about these ballots, the signatures matching, not being able to confirm. You know, everybody in the media seems so convinced, Dinesh, there's nothing to see here. Well, I mean, I listening to that, it, it sounds like I'm listening to a con man. I mean, if somebody is alleging that at a bank there is counterfeit money, uh, the only way to find out is to compare the real money with the counterfeit money. It's not to recount the money. If someone goes, oh, man, we opened up all the vaults and recounted the, all the money with the real and the counterfeit bills together, we got the same answer we got before, you would literally think you're listening to a comedy uh, uh, routine. Uh, and so the idea that a recount of the same ballot without matching signatures and verifying which ones are real and which ones are fake. I mean, we weren't born yesterday. Come on. Yeah. And so where do you see this going from here? It does seem like, and we got this from Dick Morris, that the real indication, you know, based on what Rudy Giuliani is saying today in Arizona, they're really pushing these state legislatures to not certify the election, obviously, because they feel like that's their best chance, not the Supreme Court so much, but having state legislatures in Pennsylvania and Arizona and Georgia say, nope, we're not going, we're not going to go ahead and certify these elections. They would install their own electors. And then President Trump still may be president. What, do you, what are the chances that that actually could happen? Well, what makes that uh, uh, route so interesting is that it essentially puts the election in the hands of Republican state legislatures for the most part. Now, Republicans, I think the base is unanimous, virtually unanimous, that this election was corrupted, that there was widespread fraud. But there's a certain kind of customary or habitual timidity in the Republican establishment. And the question is whether these state, state legislatures, which will get a lot of pressure from the media, whether they will be intimidated and go invertebrate on us, or whether they will use their legitimate constitutional power. They're not going around the rules. They're using the exact rules specified in the Constitution itself to say, listen, we don't have confidence in the way that these votes were counted. Sorry, we're going to pick the electors ourselves. Or if you want to do the election all over again under carefully uh, 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 observed procedures, then we can do it that way. Yeah, that is interesting, too. You do see more, I think, solidarity between President Trump and these statewide elected officials. There seems to be, you know, you can never really count on the Senate for their support in this. But for the people that are, you know, somewhat reluctant to, to sign on with this, Dinesh, what do you think is their hesitation right now? Their hesitation is merely the fact that they're going to take a lot of personal heat. Uh, the left has all kinds of ways of browbeating, cajoling, and bullying people. They'll produce lawyers who say things like, you have no right to do this. This is, you know, the, it's the people's decision. It's not your decision, as though these aren't elected officials who themselves are representing the people. So the problem is that ordinary people get browbeaten by the media. They don't want to see their picture in the newspaper. They don't want people screaming at their door. These are the kind of, you may almost say, bullying tactics used by the left, and the media is part of it. It's a big part of it. It's part of the, you may almost call it, intellectual antifa of the left to terrorize these people into submission. Uh, if they, but if they're tough and they hold firm, uh, ultimately, the Constitution and right is both on their side. An intellectual antifa, that is an interesting uh, juxtaposition to think of, Dinesh. Way to, you know, you don't really think about uh, intellectualism when it comes to antifa. Great to see you, though. Thanks so much. And we look forward to checking out the new film. My pleasure. All right. White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner is headed to Saudi Arabia and Qatar this week after the killing of an Iranian nuclear scientist. We'll have the latest on Kushner's visit and the mounting questions surrounding the scientist's death. We'll talk about that with decorated U.S. Army combat veteran and founder of Packham Solutions, Corey Mills, next.
All right, welcome back. We'll check back in with that hearing in Arizona momentarily, but we wanted to update you on White House Senior Advisor Jared Kushner now heading to Saudi Arabia and Qatar this week. Kushner's trip comes after the killing of an Iranian nuclear scientist, Moshin Fakhrizadeh, and that happened in Tehran last week. Western and Israeli governments believe that his, he was the creator of a secret Iranian nuclear weapons program. The Wall Street Journal reported that Kushner's visits would focus on restoring a dispute between Qatar and the Saudi-led alliance. Initially, authorities said a truck exploded and the gunman opened fire on the scientists, killing him and a bodyguard. But at the funeral, a top Iranian security official accused Israel of using electronic devices remotely to kill the Iranian scientists. Let's talk more about the fallout from this and welcome in U.S. Army combat veteran and founder of Packham Solutions, Corey Mills, also a Newsmax columnist. Corey, great to see you. John, good to see you. All right, so Iran, of course, is uh, saying there's going to have to be retaliation as a result of this. Israel has long been suspected of killing Iranian nuclear scientists before over the last decade. What do you actually think will result from this? Well, I mean, I think for all the viewers, we need to back it up just a minute. Yes, from 2010 to 2012, you had very similar strikes uh, that was carried out by the Israeli Mossad that took out nuclear scientists. This, without uh, any question, was what they considered to be the godfather of the upcoming nuclear bombs, so clearly one of the closest to the Ayatollah. Uh, very similar in his intent of uh, malign activities like that of the former commander, Quds, uh, Quds Force uh, Qasem Soleimani. Um, and, and, you know, I think that it's very obvious that when Iran has enriched uranium deposits to 12 times what the allowable JCPOA and Resolution uh, 2231 of the U.N. Security Council limitations, uh, I think there's time for concern for the entire region. And, and, and that's certainly the importance and significance behind uh, Jared Kushner's visit. Now, we saw a lot of uh, hissy fits thrown over this, John Brennan being chief among them. Why is John Brennan so uh, upset by this? John Brennan is just, it's the same thing as Clapper. It's the same thing as Comey. It's the same thing. Any positive steps that are taken by this administration, by this president or by our allies, uh, they will continue to try to attack. I mean, we've seen this time and time again. You've got the incoming national security advisor who still claims that the most courageous act by a leader ever taken was when Obama chose to, uh, you know, a kill off uh, Osama bin Laden, but gives no credence and credit to the president who has taken out Qasem Soleimani, Abu Mehdi al-Mahandis, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, and Jihadi John, all responsible for more than uh, uh, the killings of, of Osama bin Laden. So again, uh, it's Brennan being Brennan. It's politics at its best. And uh, I don't really give him as much time as I do with John Bolton. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you always wonder about why he's pitching a fit when, you know, the heat gets turned up a little bit over there on his side of things. I want to talk about ex-Trump campaign advisor Carter Page filing a $75 million lawsuit against the Department of Justice, the FBI, former FBI Director James Comey, former FBI Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, and other officials involved in the Russia investigation. It also accuses the DOJ and FBI of violating Page's constitutional rights. And it's pretty obvious, based on what we've learned, Corey, that Bad stuff happened over there at the FBI. But a question a lot of us want to know is, whether, was there any coordination between the FBI and the CIA? Well, again, I think that there's always going to be some type of an overlap or crossing over. I mean, look, let's just go ahead and say what the actual operation was called, crossfire hurricane. That doesn't sound like something which had the intent of simply just looking into a situation. That is the type of operation that you set forth when you go to take someone down. And I think Carter Page is absolutely right. They have violated his constitutional rights. They violated and abused the FISA process by modifying his documentation when he, in fact, was a CIA, uh, I guess, informant 
it, and so therefore he should not have been exposed to these types of things. And we have to go back to what FISA was created for. It was to investigate and look into those who are actually trying to attack the nation from a foreign perspective, not to be utilized to attack and go after our own American citizens. And that's why I fully support uh, Representative Jim Jordan and the others who co-sponsored the bill to essentially get rid of the FISA process. Yeah, I mean, you know, Unfortunately, Corey, we'll never really see that bill come to light as long as Democrats control the House. Uh, it's going to take some real courage from it's not just going to be Republicans either. It's going to have to be Democrats as well that really understand what's at, what's at stake here, because it doesn't seem like a lot of people really do. No, you're exactly right. But I would note that we've just won almost a dozen seats. Kevin McCarthy is doing a great job as GOP leader. The uh, movement for the conservatives have have certainly come to for, uh, to the forefront. Uh, and so, whether Trump, uh, you know, can can go forward and actually uh, create the you know necessary documentation to prove what we all know is widespread you know widespread fraud or vote, um, I, I think it doesn't matter. I think that we take the House in 2022 regardless because the Democratic Party continues to run on this defund the police socialism ideology, and it doesn't work for the American people. Yeah, they saw the bloodbath down ballot this election cycle. We'll see if it continues again. They probably will if they continue with some of these same talking points. Corey, great to see you as always. Thanks for your insight. John, thanks so much. All right, coming up, Democrats wished small businesses a happy small business Saturday after they're the ones who crushed small businesses and still refuse to let many of them reopen in certain cities. We'll talk more about that with Ari Hoffman and Dan O'Donnell coming up next. missed it, but Saturday was Small Business Saturday, and Democratic leaders like Governor Andrew Cuomo and Governor Gavin Newsom of California, also Senator Kamala Harris, all took to Twitter to wish businesses a happy Small Business Saturday. Candidate John Ossoff, the Senate candidate down in Georgia, couldn't miss out on the irony. He, too, joined in on ignoring the destruction that Democrats have caused to Main Street. How bad is it? According to TrackTheRecovery.org, nearly one-third of small businesses in New York and New Jersey are still closed. Many of those businesses will probably never reopen again. Joining us now to talk more about this is former Seattle City Council candidate and writer at The Post Millennial, Ari Hoffman. Also with us, Dan O'Donnell, host of The Dan O'Donnell Show on Milwaukee's News Talk 1130. Gentlemen, thanks for coming back with us. You bet. Always a pleasure. All right, Ari, right, we, we went with the Metallica Yamaka today. I just want to confirm. Yes, I did. Okay. Yes, All right, exactly good. right. I like, to, I like to follow up with the audience. I know every, this, is, this is something we track with the, with the Yamakas, weekly <laughs> Yamakas. I love the Metallica one. Um, all right, so let's talk about this. We have seen this massive transfer of wealth from mom-and-pop shops on Main Street to corporate behemoths like Jeff Bezos. He's made something like $70 billion this pandemic alone, and maybe even more money since I last checked. But, all right, you know, do Democrats need a class of self-awareness on how this works? Because you can't be tweeting out Happy Small Business Saturday right before you shut down the entire state, which is what Gavin Newsom basically did. 
that restaurant you just showed in that image there, Talia Steakhouse, was one of my favorite places to go in New York. And who knows the next time I'll be able to be there. A hundred percent, it's tone deaf. Think about Kamala Harris. She is a pe one of the people who is bailing out rioters who, on top of having all these businesses shut down by Democrat governors, the rioters were destroying these businesses. So it wasn't bad enough that they lost their customers. The stores were being destroyed as well. Anybody who tweeted out shop small, small business Saturday, hashtag small business 2020, anybody who did that but was responsible for these closure orders or voted for the people who were had a hand in killing these businesses as one of the most hypocritical things I've ever seen. And it's another reason why, Dan, I, you know, you shouldn't, if you're a politician, some of these politicians, they obviously give up their Twitter feeds to their staffers and things like that. That's, what I think, the problem with a lot of this stuff is you have people tweeting out things, not actually the uh, representatives themselves tweeting this out. It's like a reflexive thing to do, like, oh, you know, it's the, it's the third Saturday of the month. We should say right. small business Saturday. Yay. But no, really what they're doing, their policies are crushing these small businesses. Well, exactly. My favorite example of this over the weekend was the mayor of Denver uh, tweeting out, stay home this Thanksgiving while he was in line to get on a plane to go visit his family for Thanksgiving. Not only did the lockdowns kill small businesses because obviously they forced them to shut down, but remember in most of these states, behemoths like Walmart, some of the big hardware stores were never required to close. So this did wonders for them in clearing out the remaining competition. They had Target was another one that was allowed to stay open. And of course, the biggest of all, Amazon.com, its fulfillment centers. We've got a giant one here in Wisconsin, never shut down, even though the fulfillment center was the site of a massive COVID outbreak throughout the month of April. That's right. And that's because of the lobbying efforts that happen here. You know, the bigger corporations, the bigger industries, they have the more lobbying money that they influence more of these lawmakers. And let's talk about that a little bit more, because companies like Nike and Coca-Cola are now allegedly pushing back on legislation that would crack down on these forced labor camps in China we've talked so much about. According to The New York Times, the two companies are among the major businesses lobbying Congress to weaken the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act that would ban imported goods made by slaves. Ari, Coca-Cola and Nike, of course they want to benefit from slave labor. This is just beyond the pale, though. This is history repeating itself, especially with Coca-Cola. If you go into the National Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., one of the first things you see when you walk in is a machine there that says IBM on it. People wonder how they got the list of the... I think we lost... And they were pioneering their punch card system the Yeah, we're having a little trouble there with Ari, but he's exactly right. IBM, the punch card system, you know, corporations, before they really knew what the Holocaust was, or maybe they did know, but still, uh, there was some evidence there. Let's get Dan in on this. But Dan, you know, this is what you'd come to expect from these giant corporations looking the other way in the, in the name of profits. Well, Nike especially just gets under my skin because they made such a big deal about Colin Kaepernick getting his own signature shoe and after George Floyd's death, being the wokest of the woke companies, st standing up for social justice and all of this and standing against injustice throughout the world, they themselves are using slave labor. I can think of no greater injustice in the world than the continued use of slave labor by a company like Nike, which is talking a big game, but of course still has to protect the almighty profit. 
And Coca-Cola is, of course, no better. I mean, they're so woke when it comes to what they post on Twitter, but their actual business practices are anything but. And Ari's back with us. And that's because, Ari, they don't think we're actually going to do the research and look into this stuff. They, don't th they think we're going to get fooled here. Like, all right, Ari's still, Ari's still frozen. We're going to have to wrap it up there. Our thanks to Ari and Dan. We'll see them next Monday. Great insight as always, gentlemen. Well, check this out. A new national poll finds that 20% of Americans are watching Newsmax TV regularly. A McLaughlin and Associates survey of voters conducted in November found that the new cable news network had already swat, uh, snatched half of the viewership of Fox News, the long-dominant cable news player. 25% of Americans said they had a favorable view of Newsmax, a number that draws beyond its viewership, and our viewership keeps on growing. We want to thank you for making us a trusted source of news and information. All right, coming up, soccer legend Diego Maradona's own doctor is being investigated for his death. We'll tell you why coming up next. the last statement he had on it, because I was pretty persistent, was saying, you know what, I'm not going to tell you till after tomorrow. And I go, well, you know what the primary duty of a poll challenger is to make sure that the election process are ex executed effectively and efficiently and accurately in transparent manner. He did not allow that to be done. Now, I can see physical transfer of data. I can watch when somebody moves a flash drive from a tabulator to a central station, and I can go off and verify vote counts at that handoff. I can't get inside wires to go off and trace electrons through the Ethernet cables that I saw a position. And that's the next point I want to highlight. And this is something important for you to understand here is how these were connected. A lot of these election officials will swear up and down that none of these machines were connected to the Internet. And that's based on propaganda being pushed by companies like Dominion Voting Systems. They will say that All right, welcome back. You've been listening to uh, uh, witnesses testifying at this fact-finding hearing happening in Maricopa County in Phoenix, Arizona. There are allegations of illegal voting, illegal aliens voting, people with unverified ages voting, all kinds of chicanery these allegations we're hearing about today. We've also heard from a cybersecurity official, an election official there, talking about the vulnerability with Dominion Voting Systems. You'll get complete coverage of this today here on Newsmax TV. You can follow up on this with American Agenda and, of course, coming up later here on Newsmax TV on Spicer and Company. Chris Salcedo and the rest of the gang will have full coverage for you. All right, let's take a look at five stories and get you caught up on your catch-up. Five stories you may have missed and including some stories that will take you behind the headlines. Argentine police searched the home and office of Diego Maradona's personal doctor. Investigators reportedly seized medical records as they continued to look into the death of the 60-year-old international soccer star. He died after having a heart attack following brain surgery. Maradona's family called for this investigation. Russia is under renewed pressure to explain the chemical attack on opposition figure Alexei Navalny. The director general of the Chemical Weapons Convention recently called out Moscow for the attempted poisoning in a statement at the start of the group's annual meeting. They urged the Kremlin to disclose, quote, in a swift and transparent manner, the circumstances of the chemical weapons attack. Russia continues to deny any involvement in Novani's poisoning. This even though the nerve agent used here, Novichok, has been linked to other Russian assassination attempts. 
Police are searching for a gunman who opened fire at a Northern California mall on Black Friday. Two people were shot and killed. The Arden Fair Mall in Sacramento was immediately evacuated after the gunfire started around 6 p.m. local time. When police arrived, they discovered a 19-year-old man who was fatally shot and another 17-year-old male who later died at the hospital. Police are asking anyone with information to come forward. The Supreme Court begins hearing the Trump administration's argument to exclude illegal immigrants from the 2020 census. That starts today. The New York State or New York State will be arguing against President Trump's efforts to only count American citizens in the census. The ruling could potentially mean states like New York, California, Texas, and New Jersey could lose congressional seats and billions of dollars in funding. The 80-minute oral argument will begin today by teleconference. If illegal immigrants are excluded, it would be the first time that they would not be counted for purposes of congressional representation. And now you see it, now you don't. That mysterious monolith discovered last week in Utah has vanished. The disappearance of the mysterious figure is causing several bizarre conspiracy theories. Utah's Bureau of Land Management, which administers the area, said the object was removed by an unknown party, just like it got there. And that's it for today's Catch Up. All right, a lot of you are back at work today after traveling for Thanksgiving, and there are some new warnings that all of us need to hear about coronavirus. Let's find out more now from Newsmax national correspondent Logan Raddick, who joins us live now from Washington. Logan. Good afternoon, John. Millions of Americans ignoring the CDC's warning to stay home for Thanksgiving, electing to travel to spend time with friends and family. According to Statista, over 50 million Americans hit the road for the holiday. The number of travelers down more than 10% from last year's record, including flights and road trips of more than 50 miles. Across the country, hospitalizations increased every single day over the last month, with more than 93,000 as of Saturday. About 20% of all hospital patients in the country have the virus. We know people may have made mistakes over the hospital, over the Thanksgiving time period. So if you're young and you gathered, you need to be tested about five to 10 days later, but you need to assume that you're infected and not go near your grandparents and aunts and others without a mask. We're really asking families to even mask indoors. And Dr. Anthony Fauci says there could be further restrictions with the medical system under stress. We don't want to lock down completely, but we might have to if this, and and I'm talking locally, I'm not talking about nationally. Dr. Fauci says certain places should remain closed while others should reopen. Close the bars and keep the schools open is what we really say. Obviously, you don't have one size fits all. But as I said in the past and as you accurately quoted me, the default position should be to try as best as possible within reason to keep the children in school or to get them back to school. Elementary students in the nation's largest school district, New York City, will return to partial in-person learning on December 7th, just 10 days after Mayor de Blasio announced students were being sent home. But public middle school and high school students will continue learning virtually for the time being. Biotechnology company Moderna says they are applying for emergency use authorization for their vaccine, which is said to be 94% effective, and they're also looking to get regulatory approval in the EU. John. Logan Raddick for us in Washington. For more on the coronavirus, let's welcome in Dr. Peter Hibbard, a Florida-based emergency medicine specialist certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine. So Dr. Fauci, Dr. Hibbard now says, you know, schools should be open, but there's been so much conflicting information on this. What did it take to actually get Dr. Fauci to say this? Because we've been talking about this for a long time. The risk of transmission among kids is not that high. 
Yes, certainly. The risk of transmission disease among the kids at school when their distance, distancing is in effect and they've got all the protective measures isn't that high. And in fact, the disease itself, uh, the bad disease in children, they, they, they seem to be avoiding it in those under the age of 14. So um, schools generally are doing pretty well with their distancing and with their coronavirus protection measures were put up, surprisingly so, really. The disparity of, of what you heard initially about how dangerous schools were, and then you also, you know, a lot of businesses were allowed to re remain open. When are we ever going to actually get, you know, the real science here, Dr. Hibbert? Well, I think the problem with the real science is some of the reporting is varies from one region to the other. And, and we've got to basically arm our health departments to be the reporters. I think they were disarmed at various different stages in this pandemic. And, uh, and, and some of them were told to silence. So it's hard to really know what was happening one region or another. We certainly see that many areas that have large numbers in the center of the country uh, are getting large numbers of COVID hospitalizations. Yet in South Florida, although the numbers may be up, we're not getting huge numbers of hospitalizations. So uh, it's a disjointed picture that we're seeing. I'm not sure what the solution is. Yeah, nobody seems to be too sure about those, what the solution is, especially those in these public health, uh, these public health officials. Dr. Haber, great to see you. Thanks so much. We'll see you tomorrow. All right, coming up, we're going to bring in Jonathan Alter to discuss the parallels between President Carter and Trump. Yes, there are some. We'll be right back after this. talk about a book called His Very Best. It takes a deep dive into the life of one of our, our most misunderstood presidents, our most maligned presidents, President Jimmy Carter. The book takes us on a journey of Carter's transformation from a shy farm boy in Georgia to a naval nuclear engineer to become the 39th president of the United States and a global icon when you think about his good works after his presidency. Here to talk about his new book, President Carter, and more is Jonathan Alter, filmmaker, columnist, and author. His latest book is called His Very Best, Jimmy Carter, A Life. Jonathan, great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, John. All right, so I'm a native Georgian, and, you know, uh, even though Jimmy Carter's presidency didn't end the way he wanted to, you know, I grew up going to the Carter Center. You learn a lot about Habitat for Humanity. I also have, you know, Republican mom and dad. So they, they kind of handled Jimmy Carter a little differently. But as a native son of Georgia, he was revered, I should say. But what is the most misunderstood thing from your experience, Jonathan, about your investigation into Jimmy Carter? Well, I think it's that while we all know he was a political failure, he was a substantive success in many different areas, things that it took years in many cases for people to realize that a decision he made had far-reaching and positive implications. Sometimes it was a liberal decision. Sometimes it was a conservative decision. You know, he was, he was detested by liberals in the Democratic Party. Ted Kennedy challenged him. So, for instance, he appointed Paul Volcker to be chairman of the Federal Reserve. And it was Volcker who uh, he raised interest rates, which hurt Carter in 1980. But then inflation was ended because of Volcker's policies. And of course, Ronald Reagan uh, you know, got the got the credit for that. Uh, similarly, in the Pentagon, uh, Carter is think, uh, thought of as being uh, you know, soft on defense. But he increased defense spending by 5 percent, which is a lot. And the weapons that his Pentagon built, like the B-2 bomber, helped win the Cold War. They were part of what 
intimidated uh, the Soviet Union. One of the things we talked about not too long ago here on this program was a moment in history when, when Ronald Reagan was, was inaugurated. Right after that moment is when it was the end of the Iran hostage crisis, one of right. you know, the, the darkest times, obviously, of Jimmy Carter's presidency. But what, how was his response to that? You know, he, he just left the White House learning that the hostages had been released, something that obviously sank his presidency. How did he take that? He was actually really happy, even though, you know, it looks like he was humiliated in many ways he was by the Ayatollah who waited until just a, literally a minute after Reagan took the oath before releasing the hostages. But you got to remember, it was Carter who negotiated their release through the Algerians, and they all came home safely. So Reagan uh, gave Carter Air Force One, uh, and he went to Wiesbaden, West Germany. He met the hostages after they were released. And, you know, it was obviously a bittersweet moment because Carter was no longer president. But his top priority, arguably something he placed too much importance on, the hostages, they came home safely, and he felt that was an achievement of his presidency. Of course, if he had bombed Iraq, Iran like a lot of people wanted, the hostages probably would have been killed, and we might have gotten into a, a big war in Iran, which would have made Iraq look small by comparison because it's a much bigger country. Is Jimmy Carter still teaching? He's still teaching Sunday school, right, down in Plains, Georgia? You know, he did until as recently as last year, John. And then uh, he uh, he had a fall. Um, and then, of course, when COVID happened, uh, he couldn't do it in person anymore. But he doesn't read well anymore. Uh, his vision has been affected, although his his brain is still in great working condition. But unfortunately, he's really not in a position anymore to teach Sunday school. But he did for 75 mm. years, 75 years of teaching Sunday school. And of course, as a man of, of great faith, a very complicated person. That's what I want people to understand and why I think conservatives will also enjoy this book, even though he was a Democratic president, is that the complexity, the layered quality of his life is uh, really fascinating, kept me interested through five years of research. And I think for anybody who's interested in American presidents, they will uh, enjoy the ride. It's a colorful one, and his life was is really an American epic. Well, we are here on this program very interested in American presidents, all the American presidents. It's a fascinating look at Jimmy Carter, some stuff a lot of people didn't know before about Jimmy Carter. Jonathan, congratulations on this book. We highly recommend it to everybody out there. His very best, Jimmy Carter, a life. Jonathan Alter, thanks, thanks so John. much. We appreciate it. All right, we'll be right back with a look at what else is ahead here later today on Newsmax TV. Don't go away. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.